Man, it's good to be in the room again. I missed you all. It's always nice to have some time off, but uh, I'm always glad to be back. And tonight, um, we're going to be talking about a story of baptism. And uh, remember your baptism is a phrase that you may have heard a lot. You may have heard it repeated a lot in church. Remember your baptism. Uh, and that phrase is not just a request to recall, recall the specifics of your particular baptism, if you have had one. Um, although I do like those details, and honestly, I like a good baptism story. I've heard some really uh, good ones, uh, and uh, especially when things don't go quite right. Uh, it just kind of adds to the messiness of a good baptism story. In fact, there was one time when, uh, a while back when um, I baptized someone, and I unknowingly had a tear in my labrum in my shoulder. I knew it was sore, but I didn't know what it was. And I, it was going to require surgery soon, but I didn't know uh, until after this baptism. And uh, the way it works when you baptize, you may not have done it, but kind of get your hand behind someone's head, right? And they usually plug their nose if they don't want to fill their nose with water because it's always a little undignified to gag when you come out of the water freshly baptized. And so you lean them back, um, and then it's really up to this arm to lift the person back up. And as it turned out, I, I put them down, and when I pulled up, there was nothing there because I had this tear in my shoulder, so I literally had no strength to pull them back up. So I struggled a couple times, and then I had to reach down and, and grab a fistful of robe and just pull this way, and, and, and them coming up. And I will never quite forget the look on their face just under the water as they sat there just a little longer than was comfortable and got a little closer to Jesus they planned, even in their own baptism. Um, but that's when I started telling people, you know, uh, the bubbles are just the devil leaving. So just don't, don't rush it. <laughs> Let it all happen. But um, I love a good baptism story. Um, but remember your baptism is something we say um, because we're talking about remembering where your life of faith started. Remember the place where it is given birth. It's about making sure we don't forget that we have been reborn into something different to live in a different way. It's about making sure that the way we live now is consistent with the waters from which it came. Right? Baptism is a central tenet of the practice of our faith. It's incredibly meaningful. It's one of my favorite things to get to be a part of. I love weddings. I love baptisms. Uh, it's one of the best parts of this job. But it's also one of those practices that if you grew up in the church or you grew up in Christianity, we've become very accustomed to. But it is an objectively weird thing to do, if you think about it. Um, it is objectively strange. We're accustomed to it. But if some alien showed up with no context whatsoever during a church service when there was a baptism, they would be thoroughly confused. All these people come into a room, often uh, not us so much because we're a little more casual, but everyone comes into a room all dressed nicely and they sing songs and someone talks and all those kind of things. And then two people get in a giant bathtub with one another and one of them pushes the other one under and then we all applaud when they come up out of the water. And then that person is just left to be soaking wet inside with no means of putting themselves back together, and then we call it a day. That's a strange thing to do. But it's great. Isn't it, isn't it great how weird it is and how uh, odd it is? I love baptism and all its symbolic, yet very literal and physical, incarnate, weird and messiness. I like it. Um, I like it. And if you don't think baptism is weird, it's because you've never been like here in a church where they have a baptismal, we're kind of using it for a screen. Uh, at some point, we will actually baptize people in there. But if you don't think it looks weird from where you're at, you should just go side stage after you get out of the water because there's a real awkward moment where the person is just soaking wet 
and they're not quite sure what to do and they have to dry off and you have to give them privacy, but they're not sure what they're... It's just weird. And I love it. I love the awkwardness of it. I love all of it. But we get so accustomed to it, we forget how strange it is. And that's part of what I like about today's short text. While we may get so familiar with baptism that it no longer seems strange to us, the story today, in this story, it is still baffling and scandalous to those involved. It's even strange to the guy who has Baptist in his name, which is just funny to me. Our text is actually in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 3, and it's only a couple of verses here, uh, 13 through 16. Let me read it now. It says this, Matthew 3, 13 through 16, then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. That's John the Baptist. To be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, so why do you come to me? Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. And then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water, and at that moment heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. For the word of God in scripture, for the word of God among us, for the word of God within us, thanks be to God. So here we have Jesus' baptism by John the Baptist. And in Jesus' baptism, we have the start of his public ministry. We also not just have the start of his public ministry at age 30-ish or something like that, but we also find within this the surprising nature of the ministry he's going to have, right? It's so surprising, in fact, that the person whose entire identity is centered on baptism and whose entire identity is centered on preparing the way for the Messiah tries to dissuade Jesus from going this route. This is such a, I, I love this text. I love the image of Jesus coming to John the Baptist and John trying to talk him out of baptism. Now keep in mind that this baptism that John has been offering to everyone, going out in the desert, getting baptized in the river for repentance, was undignified at best, right? While uh, Jewish uh, folks in that day and time would have understood certain purification rituals, they would have heard about it or seen it, it really wasn't a very common practice for them. And it was also an honor-based culture. And asking a man in an honor-based culture to publicly repent and then be immersed in the water and in kind of an undignified ask, uh, act was a very big ask for that person. It was more than a little humiliating for the participant. And so John says, no, don't do this. Jesus, you're above this. Now, a further thing to keep in mind uh, that I didn't realize for a long time uh, until I started comparing different stories in, in, the, in the gospel and stuff, keep in mind that John does not yet know that Jesus is the Messiah. Now, we can be assured, or we can assume, I think, that he heard stories about Jesus' birth and, and the kind of the surroundings of it, about his mother and Mary who got together uh, and they were both pregnant and the baby leaps within the womb and there's the prophecies and all those kind of things. I'm sure there was talk about his cousin being set apart or special or chosen by God for something, but by John's own confession, he didn't know Jesus was the Messiah until after this baptism. 
which is one of my favorite parts of the story. That means that something about the way Jesus lived the first 30 years of his life, which was in obscurity, and you should feel good about that. Think about that. 90% of Jesus' life, no one even knew he was. He did nothing that anyone ever wrote down or talked about. Makes me feel a little better about my life. Although I'm working on more years than 30, but still, you know, I'm not Jesus, so. But just the way Jesus led his life without John knowing he's Messiah, just by the way Jesus lived his life, John said, no, 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 you're above this. You should do this. John has no problem calling out anyone, even those that will literally put his head on a platter later on, but not Jesus. He can't imagine the thought of doing something that might express some authority over this person, of this person having to humble themselves in this act. I am going to say no to the day when Tiger Woods asked me for a golf lesson. It would be humiliating for me to do it. And I'm incredible at golf. You can just ask Joe. We played nine holes this week. Amazing. <laughs> Jesus' reply to John saying, no, we shouldn't do this. Jesus' reply is that it's proper to do this to fulfill all righteousness. That's a mouthful, to fulfill all righteousness. And you're like, well, what does that mean, Mike? What does to fulfill all righteousness mean? I don't entirely know. It's a weird phrase to say. If you read 10 different commentaries, they talk about it in 10 different ways. I'm not entirely certain what it means, but I suspect that at least Jesus is indicating that there is no other way for him to be who he is called to be. He has to be this kind of Messiah, the kind of Messiah that does this kind of thing. Jesus can only be God's fullness on earth if he is baptized as well as baptizer. He can only give us a glimpse of both God's fullness and what it means to be fully human by this humble path. This messiahship, this ministry was always going to be disturbingly humble and vulnerable. Right? His mission's inauguration in the baptismal waters was always meant to reflect the cross where it would end up one day. It is God freely choosing to place his life in the hands of those to whom he shouldn't be subject. A freely chosen humility and vulnerability that starts to make some sense out of a God who would choose to become incarnate in the first place. This Messiah was always going, to be grown, always going to be born, always going to grow, always going to work and minister and die at the hands of messy, broken human beings that he should transcend but doesn't. There's no other way to be a Messiah and demonstrate God's character and love. Anything else would just be a different version of the same old story which has never worked for us. And so Jesus says we must do this to fulfill all righteousness. And Jesus asked John to put his hands on him like anyone else and immerse him in the baptismal waters that a Messiah should be walking on top of instead of swimming underneath. And suddenly, in this act of humility, when he comes up out of the water, the skies open up, the Spirit descends, and God speaks this beautiful thing over him. After this humbling and vulnerable act, God says, this, this is from me. This is my son, whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. This is what I look like. This is what I am about. This is my son, whom I love, with whom I am well 
please. Perhaps no better words could ever be spoken over you from any better source than this. I don't know about your childhood or your family, but I'm pretty sure I warranted more than a few, whose kid are you anyways? Or who raised you utterances from my parents? But there's nothing better than you're my child. I love you. You make me happy. Are these the words that Jesus needs to hear before he can go and do the things he is called to do? Maybe so. Or maybe they're just the words for us to hear to help identify Jesus. Either way, it's a beautifully surprising start to the unexpected ministry of Christ. Love that Jesus starts with baptism. But maybe your question now is, what does that have to do with us? And to that I would respond, remember your baptism. Now I want to be careful not to make Jesus' baptism about us, but if we have or are preparing to follow Christ in baptism, it seems to me there are at least some ways we can locate ourselves in this story. We can try to recapture for ourselves the absurdity of this entire act. That we would allow ourselves to be vulnerable in this way, in front of everyone. And it is, it's humbling. I know I was baptized uh, for the first time, that's a longer story I won't get into tonight, uh, when I was 13. Uh, my guess is that I would not have done it if I didn't at the time attend a church that sprinkled instead of dunked. Uh, I was already deep into my teenage insecurities as a frightfully scrawny and non-muscular kid who felt terrible about how I looked. And I honestly don't think that my ego could have handled the thought of the baggy clothes I wore to cover what I looked like, um, being stuck under the water, and then coming up and having those clothes stick to me in front of everyone, and they could see what I was trying to hide. Right? Because being soaking wet kind of makes you feel a little naked in front of everyone, doesn't it? Side note, they used to do baptisms naked. Good thing we don't do that anymore. Even though we don't do that anymore, there is no small amount of vulnerability when you choose baptism. It is the sacrifice of some pride. That is why there's such a big difference as a minister between baptizing kids and adults. Kids just assume cannonball into the baptismal in front of everyone. They're just pumped to be up in front of the crowd and they're enjoying it. There is a strange solemnity and nervousness when you baptize adults something very sacred and holy about that moment. It teeters on the edge of humiliating for an adult. But what better way for ourselves to begin our walk with Christ? What better way to begin the public journey of following the God of the cross? What better way than in the waters with the supporting hands of another needy child of God? What better way than in all the weird physicality of getting immersed in the baptismal waters? It bears witness to the strangeness of the whole endeavor. There's a beauty involved in laying ourselves bare before each other and our Creator to just accept the simple and miraculous truth that we are, in fact, beloved children of God, 
the kind of, God, the kind of children that God takes great pleasure in, even when we don't take pleasure in ourselves. And when we come up out of those waters, maybe we can be filled enough with that truth that we can then walk into this world full of God's own mercy and grace and love and offer them all freely to every other person we meet that is equally in need of their own redemption. It's weird. It's a little hard to make sense of. And it's what we are called to bring with us to every nook and cranny of this broken world. So tonight, remember your baptism. Remember, this life has always been about these weird bodies, about water and air and hands around us that help immerse us in God's love and care. Remember the humbling truth that you are just as messy and unclean and in need as everyone else. And remember that with this, you are deeply and unconditionally loved by a God who finds deep pleasure and joy in you. And armed with this, a little disheveled and soaking wet. May we be equipped to go out and use our own messy hands to bathe our neighbors in God's love for them. Remember your baptism. Or if you have yet to experience it yourself, come on in. The water is weird and great. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, we are uh, grateful We are grateful that although you are the creator of all things, that although you are a God who is above us, that you are a God who spoke uh, into existence all that we know. Even though you are that creator, the God above all things, you are also a God who is with us. And you are a God who is within us. That it was not enough for you to just know about us, but you died to know what it felt like to be us. That we have a sympathetic high priest who is able to understand our weaknesses. That we have a God who has uh, sweat and cried and bled. We have a God who has gone down into the same waters we go down into and has risen above it to show us a better way. God, may we uh, revel in the strange humility of your baptism. May we lean into the good news of a God uh, who allows himself to be baptized by us, who allows himself to be killed by us, who whispers forgiveness and love upon us and pushes through death on our behalf. God, we do love you. We are here because we love you and we ask all these things in your name. Amen. All right, will you stand with me? If you're serving communion tonight, you can come on down and begin to prepare uh, yourself and the elements. Uh, as many of you know, we close each week at the communion table. And uh, what that means is that during this final song, the table is going to be open to you. We practice open communion. What that means is that we believe there's nothing standing between you and the love of Christ. Now, even though the table is open to you, it doesn't mean you need to come down. Maybe you are unsure of whether you want to. Maybe you come from a tradition that says you shouldn't. That's fine. No one's going to look at you sideways or be upset at you if you don't come down. But just know during this final song, the table's open to you. 
As always, we'll ask the uh, outside sections to come down first, down in the middle, then back on the outside, and then the middle section can follow them. And as always, there's a cup up here with uh, gluten-free uh, bread for those who, who need that. But otherwise, as you come down the aisle, uh, one of your brothers or sisters will break the bread for you and hand it to you and give you a cup, and you can take the elements whenever you feel led. And at the communion table, we remember a God who took on flesh and blood and dwelt among us, a God who gave his life for us, a God who surrounded himself with a ragtag group of people who were no more deserving than you or I of his love and attention. And yet at that table, he took the bread and he broke it, and he said, this is my body broken for you. And then he shared with him the wine, and he said, this is the blood of the new covenant shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in remembrance of me. So during this final song, you were invited to come down and remember a God who sacrifices God's self for our be on our behalf, a God who is love. The table's open to you.